Good morning. I don't think I have anything to add. Thanks, Greg. As you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And the message calls His Divine Power. Well, I hope you had a God-filled Christmas Day and Christmas Eve and Boxing Day. Um, I know all of us were having a different experience than maybe you would have anticipated a year ago or maybe would have planned if you were completely free to do everything that you would want to. My biggest desire for us is that we would just be have gone through something where we could admit that God had been with us and God had cared for us during our time. Um, and today I want to just help us to look back over the last year with the eyes of faith and to look forward to the future as well with eyes of faith. And so let's read Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3 together, and we'll go from there. These are the very words of God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you, or they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you'll be richly provided. there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Father, there are about 300 people uh, missing this morning from um, the number of faces I would like to be looking at, but that's just my desire. It's still under your sovereignty time to be doing it like this. And so, Lord, I give give you this. Father, I'm grateful that whoever's listening to this can at least have some extra comfort of maybe a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or some leftover shrimp, ring shrimp, or whatever it is that they can enjoy um, while they're listening to this message. And so, Lord, I pray they'd be blessed in that. And we would just be grateful for the differences that you are providing for us. Father, in the meantime, Lord, I really desire a great, fresh delivery of your Holy Spirit to be a servant of your word. And Lord, I pray afresh that this eternal kingdom that your word talks about here would invade the minds and hearts of everyone who is listening to this, Lord, for their good. Lord, wherever our, our minds are hard against you, would there be a new softness? 
wherever discouragement has set up home in our souls, Lord, that they would be promptly evicted and renovated, Lord, to be a place where God dwells by faith. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to see the last year with a new perspective and go into this next year, Lord, with greater confidence in you, that you will fulfill your promises in our lives and your goodwill for our church. In Jesus' mighty name, I, I ask this, knowing that, that I can't even with my highest hopes meet what you can do, because you can do incredibly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine. And so I'm so grateful you are who you are. Father, thank you for being you. Thank you, Jesus, for being you. Holy Spirit, thank you for being you. And come and do your best will for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. Well, many, many moon ago, I remember sitting with somebody who sends missionaries into tougher places in the world to be a missionary and kind of dreamed out loud. What, what, what would it be like to intentionally try to help an entire church be mission field ready? To try to teach and encourage and train a church so that if by some miracle the Holy Spirit picked you up and plumped you down in Algeria, you would not only survive it, but be able to be some fruitful in it. Because many of us, if all of a sudden you did wake up one morning and find yourself in a bazaar in Algeria or something like that, <laughs> would be very stunned and maybe not know what to do. But just this idea, what if we were working towards being ready to be launched at any moment? Not expecting necessarily that we all would be, but just have that mindset and that heart. And I want to invite us to maybe ask the question, did, did God do that for us in 2020, whether we asked for it or not? Did God give us a missionary-type experience, even in little Steinbeck, which is about as far away from a foreign-speaking mission field as you can get in the planet? Did he provide this? And I just want to give us like five perhapses that we just spent in 2020 as a church being in some missionary boot camp. Because though I've never lived on the mission field, I've done a couple short-term mission trips, I have listened to people who have lived on longer-term trips, and we went through something like what they go through. Number one, one of the things when missionaries are on the mission field, often one of the things they feel is that they have no access to regular worship. Either they're serving a church and their regular worship is done in another language and all of the messages come to them by translator and all the songs are in a different language. But one of the things they feel is that they don't have access to regular worship where they can just kind of come and sing and participate and take. Worship is just harder. Or if they're in a church planting experience, their regular Sunday morning worship might just be 10 people in a house where they're trying to not be too noisy because who knows if they're welcome where they are. And so, and we experienced this. Nobody's really had like 52 Sundays of just how you could want it. And so we've gotten to experience what it's like to have regular worship um, access jostled. Number two, messed up holidays. <clears throat> when people are on the mission field, holidays tend to be kind of like painful times of loss. Um, I don't know if you've seen any pictures of even people we support where their Christmas tree, they're like in Mexico or something, and their Christmas tree is just a few boards stapled together with a couple of baubles they found taped to it. That's their quote-unquote Christmas tree. They didn't get to get the nice plastic one that was, you know, bought at Canadian Tire to throw up there. Or even a real fir tree or something like that. But many of us for our holidays, there's a sense of things not being normal. 
And that is the normal experience for people who are on the mission field, is that any holidays that you're used to are abnormal, and there's a sense of loss about it. We got to experience that. Number three, when you're on the mission field, there can be this sense of pervasive loneliness, that you just don't have access to friends and family like you would regularly. Anybody else? Yeah, we got to experience that in a way where just everything's by Zoom. And praise God for people that we support or send overseas, um, the, the, just the capability of doing FaceTime is such a grace compared to 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Um, the Moravians, who are one of the greatest missionary sending organizations in all of human history, they would like pack their belongings into their own pine box coffin because they were expecting to say goodbye to everybody and no one would see their face until their corpse was shipped back to England or Germany for burial. So what a grace to have Zoom, but just loneliness. There's increased loneliness because of separation from regular relationship that would be a source of comfort and encouragement to us. Kind of like being on missions. There's a heightened sense of government being intruded in your life. Now, again, I I haven't lived this, but just with conversations, many people who are on uh, long-term missions or foreign missions, they just have this heightened sense of what the government is up to because they're, they're not citizens of these countries, so they're always aware of what the government thinks of them. Are they being welcomed? Are they not being welcomed? Are they being ignored? Do they need to get another visa again? And so there's just this heightened sense of, of it's being sensitive to what the government you're in, under, not as a citizen, um, is what they're up to and what you can do that might provoke or not provoke them and you know we've been feeling that this heightened sense of government authority in our lives and this sense of you know going around to people's houses and going am i breaking the law if i stand here am i breaking the law if i stand here am i breaking the law if i stand here and just this sense of like not knowing when um you're just going to get a ticket or something like that and i know i'm being talking kind of paranoid but that's there's this there's just the sense of like Am I, am I going to go to jail today for doing something? You know, I don't know. And, so, and that, I think, gives us a taste of when we send people to other countries, just this sense of not knowing what a foreign government could do any day to welcome you and be grateful you're there or to let you know that there's a flight leaving that afternoon that you're going to be on or else. And also financial questions. Just financial stability um, is something that a lot of people have questions about. And wondering what 2021 might look like with all the spending that's happened and the programs that have happened or might be stopping or who knows what. Um, There's just been a lot of financial questions that we're kind of maybe feeling more than usual. And you know what? People on the mission field often have a lot more questions about financial stability if that's even a thing or if giving's going to happen or or some expense going to happen and just this sense of needing to trust god every day for the future i think many of us are maybe feeling that a bit more that we just have to trust god for the future more because just regular routines regular systems have had more than a few two by four shoved through the front tire of our bikes and we don't know uh, what's going to be happening and so Looking back over the last year or so, I know it's COVID-19, so it was discovered in 2019, and we're heading into 2021, so the number's going to be two years, but it's been about a year since we've been dealing with this. In many ways, we have got a taste of what can feel very normal to people that we support and send with on missions, and I feel like one perspective we can take in order to see this last year as 
um, part of God's good intention for us is just to say, hey, we've been, we've been trained a bit more to be on mission with God, even if we never leave Steinbeck again. We've been experience granted to be on mission with God in a newer way, in a deeper way. And then, you know what? If I came out and said, hey, we're going to be a church where everyone's ready for missions. Let's all be excited about that. I'd maybe get 10% of the church actually excited about that. But when God decides everybody is going through boot camp, everybody goes through boot camp. He's, he's got ways to get anything done that you don't need a planning committee or a board in order to do. So I want to... This is just this little practice that I did in... 10 minutes last night, just thinking through, hey, how have things been useful for us as a church? And I think this is a very important practice for us because it's really good at these times where years are ending to take stock, to evaluate, not not to condemn or criticize, but to see the hand of God in your life and to see where he has been working and what he's been doing, how he's been growing us. And I think it's really helpful for us as a church and as especially as individuals to be taking that time to think and meditate and pray with the Lord and say, hey, what have you been up to? Help me to see your hand in this last year because I want to know what you've been up to. I want to be encouraged by your faithfulness and I want to be looking to the future knowing that the same God that got me through 2020 is, is the one leading me into 2021. And this is in part why we're looking at Second Peter today. Let me just find out what my next slide is. Okay, good. Um, when this letter was being written, it was near the end of the Apostle Peter's life. And Jesus had prophetically told him that Peter was going to one day be l- dressed and led somewhere he didn't want to go. This is the end of the Gospel of John. Signifying that someday Peter would be martyred. People who aren't his friends were going to take him to his death. And it wasn't to pray over him while he safely slipped into the everlasting arms. It was going to be, uh, church history says by tradition that he was beheaded by the government. And so he's anticipating this death coming up. And what he does to encourage and strengthen his church as they're about to lose the great apostle, you know, the one that saw Jesus' glorified body on top of the um, Mount of Transfiguration, the, the only man, the only pure man, not God man, who's ever walked on water, as this um, anchor of the church, this foundation of the church, this apostle amongst apostles is, is about to disappear, he's giving them perspectives for future fruitfulness. And one of the main things he does in this letter is, is he encourages them and says, don't quit purposefully changing to follow God and be more like him. Don't stop wanting to be transformed in every circumstance so that you can be fruitful and not fall away. That's, if I'm going to nutshell that passage we just read the apostle peter is looking at a church that is about to be shaken by his death and he's presenting them with a strategy to get through it and he says don't stop wanting to be transformed don't stop wanting to grow don't stop wanting to make the most of every situation that god takes you into by the power of god so that you can be fruitful and grow through it and not taken out by it. So he says, make every effort. And this is, this is part of why. Peter has this really interesting little um, way of talking about things here in verse 4 and 5 where he says, 
that God has made you partakers of the divine nature through his promises because you've escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. Or because you're, you're being saved, you're being rescued from this sinful world and its corruption. What do you think about when you hear the word corruption? I think about uh, Blue Nami, my, my little putt-putt car that's been sitting in the garage for like two months now, getting a well-deserved break, but still rusting. You know, even when you put it in the garage, that thing is so good at rusting. It's been rusting while it's been dry for the last two months. I'm sure that somebody who knows chemistry about cars will explain to me about that. But Blue Nami is corrupted. It's metal, and it's rusting metal, and rust spreads. And when you look at it, I, I cannot not look at this and just be reminded of the corruption in the world. Everything's falling apart. Everything gets damaged. And the only things that can endure corruption really are living things because they keep growing past the falling apart. Your cells divide, you know, your cells find a cancer cell inside your body and they kill it and they get rid of it. And you keep trying to grow and grow and grow. And because we live in a fallen world, God's decided that you get about 100 years tops and that's the most eternal life is yet before us. But the only thing that doesn't get destroyed is, is life. Life that keeps growing past life. And so Peter says, hey, the world is caught in the corruption of sin, but you're escaping it. And because you're escaping it, make every effort to keep growing in God. There was this uh, thing hanging from a tree in our backyard. And I only noticed it was there once the leaves fell off. And it was just this weird thing. It was brown and it was hanging there. And I was like, it looks like a leaf, but it's not a leaf because it doesn't look like the other leaves that are on that tree. And all the leaves have fallen off of this tree otherwise. But I couldn't tell what it was. And it was just hanging there and it would blow in the wind. And I was just for months, I was looking at this thing going, what is this thing? And so I put on my super awesome winter boots that I was gifted a couple years ago that are just so tall and warm. They're so warm. You know, if I ever died of exposure, I went out for a walk and never found my way home and my body was, you know, curled up, frozen at the side of the road, my feet would still be warm. These boots are so warm. It's, they're like that, that Tauntaun from Empire Strikes Back. You can just cut those things open and shove Luke inside and he'd be fine for days. And They're just so good. So I put these things on and trudged into the bush to go find out what this thing was that was flapping on this, this tree branch. And when I found it, it actually was uh, a thread that had wound itself around the leg of a bird. And as this bird had landed in this tree with this thread around its leg, it kind of started to get caught. And as it tried to get out, it was obviously wrapping the thread around the branch because the thread was all over these tree branches. And then as it was trying to get out, it had managed to wrap the thread around its neck a few times and it had just died there and hung there for months, blowing in the breeze. So when I went, to, it's like, oh, it's a dead bird. What, I, what it turned out to be was a bunch of like brown feathers. It was probably a juvenile robin or something like that. It was just a bunch of brown feathers tied up with thread on these light bones. And as I tried to pull this thing free, its head popped off. It was a little bit gruesome. So I took this headless bird carcass and put it in the burning pit and we'll take care of it once and for all in the spring. But for me, it was just this picture of being caught and you can't escape. It was just a little bit of thread that this bird had picked up or gotten around its leg. But as it tried to get free, it got more and more entangled and more and more entangled until finally that entanglement killed it. And for me, that's just this, it was just this picture of sin 
Sin that sometimes seems so innocent or so small, but as it, it clings and you're stuck in it, it gets worse and worse and worse until finally, at the end of your life, you're so entangled that it takes you out. And we need this escape. And the great escape is the scissors of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to us in our sin and says, hey, the only way you're going to get free of this is if you're forgiven and set free. And Jesus has come in the flesh. Christmas was all about. He was, we celebrate that he came as a boy, as a man, and lived this perfect life and grew up and became the son of God, full of power, full of mercy, and went about doing good works and setting people free who are oppressed by the devil, the word of God tells us. And even at the height of his power, when he could have just taken over the world in power, he submitted himself to the will of God and submitted himself to the cross to die for sins so that he could purchase for us the freedom and the escape we needed. But he didn't just die for sins. He rose from the grave on the third day full of the power and authority of God and now even dwells on the throne of God so that he has access to all the divine power we will ever need for life and growth in this life and in 2020 the remaining days and in 2021 and so that's why peter can say with confidence his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him because of jesus because of the forgiveness of the cross because of his shed blood the power of god is now on our side and the entrapment of sin does not have to be there. It can be, we can be set free. The thread can be severed and we can fly free with God instead of being further and further bound up in life and in death. So God calls us to make every effort to participate in the life of God and to grow as the strategy for fruitfulness in tough times, in uncertain futures. And so it's good... Why don't, why don't you, we can even take it a second right now and just ask these questions. So how do you think you've grown in the last year? As you've met with trials and disappointments, can you see that you've grown and stuff? I popped over at somebody's house yesterday. Jackie and I were just dropping off cards and their second born son answered the door. And I think he was about two feet tall. <laughs> the last time I saw him, it's like, what? I level? When did this happen? And it, well, it happened over the last six months. And it's crazy. You know, the same thing happened to, to my son as well. We were looking at pictures from January and he was like a boy then. And now not so much. And so you've grown by the grace of God, by the kindness of God. How have you grown? Have you seen it yet? Where have you seen effectiveness and fruitfulness in the last few years or last few months excuse me oh last few years is good too as you've trusted in god god is faithful as we trust in him he makes us fruitful as we stay connected to the vine he makes us produce fruit how have you seen it how have you seen yourself grow how have you seen yourself overcome stuff by the power of god part of god growing us is also revealing how we're actually doing when you go to the doctors, you know, sometimes if you've done a successful Google search, you can go to your doctor and let them know how you're doing. Most of the time we go to the doctor to find out how we're doing. Has there ever been a time where more money, time, and energy has been spent on finding out whether people are sick with a certain thing or not? Hello? We've proven with the trillions of dollars that it's important to know if you're sick with something or not. 
Well, there's nothing like trials and tough years for God revealing what's actually in our hearts. Have you discovered that you have a besetting sin, a sin that that keeps reoccurring in your heart or in your mind or in your life? Have you found out that you have a weakness? You didn't notice you had a weakness, and maybe other people noticed you had that weakness, and you didn't know you had this weakness. But it's good to know that when these things pop up, it really is the kindness of God wanting to set us free. We find out that we've got that thread around our, our leg and we're trying to get free and it's not breaking. But you realize, I've got this thread. I need help before it gets around my neck. That's the kindness of God when that happens. Where we've been called to change. Going into 2021, I'm spending a good chunk of time going, okay, based on the last year, where has God called me specifically to make efforts to get into the life of God and to get free so that I can be fruitful and effective in the future. All right. So let's look at these eight things that Scripture mentions. And he starts off with faith because faith is like the entry ticket into the Christian life. Um, repenting and believing the good news is how you enter in. You put your trust in the man, Jesus Christ, and you believe the good news that God has sent him to be Lord and Savior. And this is how we enter in, that we have this trust-based relationship with Jesus. And that's going to be our primary way of relating to him for our entire life until we see him face to face. I trust you. I trust what you say, and I trust you're going to do what, you're, what you say you're going to do. I trust your promises. That's what a promise is. It's when somebody says, in the future, I will do this this. And we trust in the promises of God that in the future, Jesus will do this or be this for us. And this is where we we start off by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe even this morning, your trust levels are low and you need to just take a second and re-entrust yourself to Jesus. Jesus, you've saved me and I'm going to trust you afresh. You're my Lord and you're you're my Savior. You really love me. I want to give myself to you afresh and say, I'm not in control. I'm not my own Savior. I can't figure this out. But I trust you and I give myself to you. You, You've forgiven me through the cross. I believe you. And I'm going to start off with faith afresh again. And the next thing he says is virtue. Starting with your faith, add virtue. Virtue is a word we don't use all the time. I looked it up in the Greek dictionary, what that word means. And it essentially means moral excellence. This desire to be good as opposed to being bad. Not the Michael Jackson bad, which is kind of good. It's a good bad, that's a bad good. And we've really messed up the language by saying that some things that are good are bad and we want bad things to be good and good things to be bad. And we've really messed it up. But when it's talking about virtue, it, it actually, it means like, being what you're supposed to be morally. Like when somebody says to some a, a guy, hey, be a man. Usually they don't just like check, check their anatomical parts and go, I am. There's this sense of like, be the best you can be. Like, put away your junk, set a high standard for yourself in the Lord, and go for it. And that's what it's talking about. Wanting to actually be good, wanting to be godly, wanting to show God's virtue to the world by how, by with your faith. The next thing he talks about is knowledge. Knowledge here not meaning so much like becoming a know-it-all by having all these details of life wedged into your mind so that you can do super great at Final Jeopardy, which is kind of what my tendency is just to gather tidbits of trivia so that you can buzz in and try to get the double jeopardy in there. But this is this kind of knowledge where you're going through the journey of 
not knowing tons about God and what he's like to knowing more and more about him so that you can worship him, so that you can adore him, so that you know his, his plans and his will, so that you can please him with how you live. And so you're adding the knowledge of God to your desire to grow to be more like him in goodness. Self-control. I could be wrong, but it seems like in our culture where we, up until last year, had so much personal freedom. Like, there's never been a time where you could buy more stuff, whatever you wanted, right? Like, Amazon will ship to you more things right now than existed like 10 years ago. You can get what you want, even if it's like, we'll kill you. And part of what we even call freedom politically nowadays is more access to things that might destroy you, like drugs and stuff like this. There's a part of our culture that just sees freedoms is, is chemicals. The only kind of freedom that matters is a chemical freedom. And the law should work towards my chemical freedom. And so in a culture where you have more freedom to do harmful things, the importance of self-control, the ability to say no to doing damaging things to yourself and other people becomes more and more important. But the reality is that all godliness depends on our ability to say no to temptation. Because we live in a spiritual world. So let's even just back up, because one of the things uh, that this whole COVID world, COVID event has done is it's kind of defined reality as like the physical spread of a virus and the political response to it. But that isn't all of reality. The greater reality is this, that we live in a universe of spiritual warfare, where the creator of the universe, good and pure and holy, made an image-bearing creature, which is humanity, that rebelled against it at the beginning because it listened to God's great spiritual enemy, Satan the devil, And since then, there has been tremendous spiritual warfare as the souls of men are being fought for in heavenly places. And the great news is is that the Creator has always been the more powerful winner. And since the resurrection of Jesus, He has won. But that's the battle that's going on even in the midst of worldwide pandemics. It isn't so much about positive test counts And fatality counts as in what happens after the fatalities happen. The eternal world is the fight that's going on right now. That's the big thing. The big thing is the spread of the gospel around the world. This big thing is eternal life received through faith or rejected through unbelief. That's the big thing that's going on. And the thing that kills the spread of the church is the temptations of the enemy. He wants to do everything he can do to trip us up, distract us, slow us down, and stop us because Jesus has already won. And this recipe for health that that Peter gives us is about being as effective in the spiritual warfare and the spread of the church throughout the world so that the victory that Jesus gained can be accomplished and can be fulfilled. And by the sovereignty of God, it will. But this is where... Where this, coming back to self-control, the fruitfulness and effectiveness of our lives will depend in part upon our ability to resist the temptation to be, temptation to be fruitless and ineffective because of falling back into unbelief and sin.
steadfastness. Steadfastness is self-control over time. The ability to persevere in a direction. The ability, ability to resist sin for a while. To not dodge just one bullet, but to keep your head down through the entire barrage. And in a microwave culture, uh, steadfastness is something that, that we don't get to grow in very often. And we've had to grow in some steadfastness and some perseverance. It was going to be, what, like two weeks to slow the spread? Does anybody remember two weeks to slow the spread? And the last time I heard it was like, good news, only 90 more days. <laughs> you know, wait, that's six times longer than the first one was supposed to be, and that was a year ago. We're growing in steadfastness as long as we're keeping our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and his divine power with the desire to grow in godliness through these trials. Godliness. Number six is godliness. This one's a, a bit of a different one because it can get, get translated true religion as well as godliness. And what it means is like your devotion to Christ, your whole person, mind, heart, body, soul, desire to love and please God that expresses itself with caring about what God cares about. So this can mean like your your heartfelt worship, godliness, as well as the call to take care of widows and orphans. James says like true godliness is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. Why? So that you can post about it on Facebook and appear to be better than other people? Well, no, because that's God's heart. That's what he loves. And when we love what he loves, that's godliness. God cares about the widow. God cares about the orphan. Brotherly affection. That's like flashing that useless smile behind your mask when you see somebody you know from church. I've never felt so frustrated <laughs> being friendly to people. You're like, hey, how's it going? It's like, if you can't read my unibrow right, you don't know how I'm feeling. So whatever. But that's this desire to actually like, like each other, um, which during complicated times can be a challenge. And then number eight, agape, that true Christ-like love, which is characterized by measuring love, not by how what you get from somebody, but how much self-sacrifice you can joyfully do for them. Right? Worldly Christmas love is people love me because I got, I got the the life-size Millennium Falcon Lego set. I must be truly loved. Somebody, somebody finally went and checked my Amazon wish list and saw that thing on there, the, the real Imperial Death Star jobby, and they got me what I really wanted. I must be loved. But agape love in Scripture is measured by Christ, who gave himself unto death for, for sinners, who in their hearts needed God to put that love for him in our hearts because we rejected him with our, our feelings and our behavior. That's kind of the pinnacle of this stuff. Now, again, I just want to to point out something so important for us, I think, in, in wanting to be mindful of growing in Christ during hard times. Because if you're like me, you've probably felt repeatedly completely boxed in from being really fruitful in the ways you want to. Can't go here, can't go there, can't run this, can't do that, can't say this, can't not wear that. So much can't in your life. Just feel like, how can I be fruitful? But the Word of God actually says, 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. That it's actually wanting to grow in godliness as, as you desire that. You will be fruitful and effective. And God will give you opportunity and you'll seize the opportunities that he gives. Deaths will come. And that's why it's, for me, I'm especially just hit. Okay, it's not about whether or not we can have that meeting at the building on Thursday. It is about trusting in God and growing to be like him. That proves fruitfulness. All right, let's wrap this up. One of the things I want to really encourage us to do as we're transversing into the 21 is to ask God for some specific from his word promises to be our power for growth in 2021. Because Peter brings this all back to you, all this change, all this transformation. It's not about just wanting to to be different. That wanting to be different doesn't make you different. It's trusting in God and trusting in his promises that is the power to transform us. That we believe God will be who he will be in the future and fulfill what he's promised in the future. That's where hope is. And so my, I just want to end by just describing how promises work for us with God. Number one, because God is all-powerful, he will fulfill his word. Whenever God gives us a promise in Scripture, even something like, because I have God's promises, I can be changed. Anybody feel like you can't change? Anybody feel like there's discouragement in growth? You feel like, oh, self-control, it'll never be mine. Says who? Did God say that? No. God actually promises us that as we focus on his promises, he will transform us. Because he's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. He raised somebody from the dead. And he will raise you from the dead. If we're blessed enough to have a funeral someday and get to go be with Jesus without a body, he will raise us physically from the dead. And everything else is easy compared to that. Two, just remembering that God has won. Um, You'll never get a COVID update from any government that starts off by saying, let's rejoice because Jesus has already defeated COVID and every other sickness and the devil and sin and every world government. You could be afraid of taking over the place right now. Jesus has already defeated it. He stands in the victory by sitting on the throne of heaven. If you want to work that one out. And if you're in him, you're already a partaker in the victory of Christ in the resurrection power of Christ. It's already in you. You're already halfway one. And we're just waiting for Jesus to return to put the medal of a resurrection body around our neck. But we can trust in the promises of God because he's already done it. He's already done the hard part. He's already done the big thing. And we're living through the COVID age as it unfortunately clicks into the next calendar year with us. As people who have won, we beat this. We beat this. It just doesn't feel like it. Nobody says so. But we're beating this. And by faith in God's promises, we will get through this really well with fruit and effectiveness. And because he's called us, the word of God says, be more diligent to make your calling and election sure. He's chosen you. There isn't, I'm going to say this in a weird way, and you can add all the caveats that need to be added to it, but God's called you to serve him. There isn't anyone else's life that he's more interested in than yours. And in a culture like ours, it's always, we're kind of celebrity obsessed. 
Have you ever noticed that? We're always, we're kind of like, what are the important people doing? Even if they're absolutely psychopaths, we care what they're doing. Okay, if you're called by God, there is no life more that God is more interested in working through and transforming for your joy and his glory than yours. And all of his promises in scripture are yes and amen for you. For you. Because he's called you. The thing that makes a life important is whether or not God has called them. And yes, all lives are important. But the thing that really seals the deal is if Christ has called you and you're born again, your life is the most important life in the world. On par with everybody else's. But run with me on this one. Who else is God more important more concerned about transforming for your joy and his glory and your fruitfulness in this world than yours. Well done, worship team. You know the answer is nobody's. You're not saying it, but you don't don't even want me to draw you or name names because this all goes on a recording somewhere and then we'll get analyzed by the Google people. We're meant to have hope in the promises of God because God really did literally inspire them to go in Scripture for us, for our day, for today, so that we would have them. And so this is what I do practically, and the team can come up because I'm well over time. Tall guy, beard twins, purple hoser, Rob Belfer's in overtime. Come on up, team. But this is what I do. I want to show you the inside of my Bible. I've had these here for a year. I've got three pages of Scriptures that I want to look at every time I'm about to go on stage. Some of them are exhortations, but some of them are just promises that I need in order to do the calling that God's called me to do. And I want you to do this. I want you to either, you can Google some promises, you can write down your own favorite promises, but I want you to go into 2021 ready to trust and be empowered by the promises of God to fulfill his calling for your life and to grow in Christ by his strength. And so I'm just going to read these as the band tunes up. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. That's God's promise for me. Whenever I get up to do here, he is involved in it. I'm speaking on his behalf. Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. God's promise to me, Rob, you are filled with Christ all the way up, with all his rule and his authority. And I promise that is who you are. Galatians 3, 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you work, by, work his miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The promise being that as you take me at my word by faith, I will give you the Spirit afresh. Isaiah 41, 8, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. These are the promises of God. For now and the future. This is how, what God is going to do in the future. To strengthen, to empower, to help, to uphold. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I have the promises of God every time I need to get into the pulpit especially highlighted just for me, for my faith's sake. And I want you to go into this next year with your own list of powerful promises of God so he can make you effective and fruitful in the way you're called. In Jesus' name, amen.